Well, we're continuing to celebrate a living God, a risen Savior. And let's turn together now to Luke chapter 24. And we're talking about Easter. So how are you doing coming into this Easter, our second Easter in a pandemic? Maybe you would say, Jim, if I'm being honest, I'm a bit weary and troubled this Easter. And if that's the case, you are like those first disciples because on that very first Easter, you would say the same thing about them. They were weary and they were troubled going into that Sunday morning. The first disciples really had had, had all their hopes dashed as Jesus had been killed on that Friday. They were wondering, what will the religious leaders, what will the government authorities, what will they do to us if they killed Jesus and we were his followers? What's coming next for us? But then news reached their ears from the women that the tomb was empty and that Jesus was even alive. But that news would be impossible because death doesn't work that way. And certainly not the brutal death that Jesus had just experienced. And so the disciples were not in a good place emotionally on that Sunday morning. They were defeated, disillusioned, and despondent. But then, but then Jesus stood in their midst. And Jesus begins to minister to them. And first thing he does this is Jesus reveals himself to them alive and reassures them. Look with me now, verse 36 of Luke 24. As they were talking about these things, Jesus himself stood among them and said to them, peace to you. But they were startled and frightened and thought they saw a spirit. And he said to them, why are you troubled? And why do doubts arise in your hearts? Oh, I love the honesty of that, don't you? I mean, their first reaction was not, hey, high five. He's alive. We knew it. That wasn't their first reaction. Scripture records it accurately. They were initially startled and they were frightened. In shock, they could not believe what their eyes were telling them. So Jesus asked them, why are you troubled and why do doubts arise in your hearts? And as always, when Jesus asked a question, he already knew the answer. He knew why they were startled because Jesus had died and he had died in the most awful way. His disciples had seen him publicly humiliated. They had seen him tortured for hours. They were aware of that. The six hours of excruciating agony on the cross as Jesus poured out his life. And then think about this, the finality of seeing Jesus's body, his lifeless body being pulled down off the cross and Joseph, Joseph of Arimathea taking his body away. He's dead and he's been dead since Friday. So in their experience and in our experience, you just don't bounce back from death. But Jesus' question is correct. Why are you troubled and why do doubts arise in your hearts? So we look at the disciples and say, they shouldn't have been that surprised. I mean, they had seen Jesus raise other people back to life. And Jesus had told them, I'm going to Jerusalem. I'm going to be killed there. And I'm going to be raised up on the third day. But we do have sympathy for the disciples in their reaction at first of, I can't believe what I'm seeing. Let's sympathize with them. Because when we come to the Easter story, we already know the end at the very beginning. So, so we came in this morning knowing I'm celebrating the risen Savior. He died on Friday. He was raised on Sunday. We, we already have the total story. Maybe when you first heard about Jesus, hopefully you heard that all together. Jesus died for you. And on the third day, he was raised up. So there's probably never been a time in your life where you had the cross of Friday separated from the empty tomb of Sunday. You just always had it together. For us, it's like watching a movie again. 
right? You ever, you ever watched a movie for the second time, a very intense movie? And, and yeah, it's still intense and your adrenaline gets going, but you're all right because you know, hey, I know the hero, he's not really going to die then. Or how about rewatching a great basketball game where your team won? And it doesn't matter when you watch it the second time. Oh, yeah, we're down by 30 at halftime. So what? In triple overtime, we're going to win this thing. I'm just totally relaxed. But think about the disciples. Let's sympathize with them. They went through these experiences just days before in real time. They, they witnessed all of this in real time. Yeah, Jesus had told them about a resurrection, but Jesus said a lot of things and a lot of parables, and they're just sorting all that out. Holy Spirit's not yet in them, and so they're just going through this. And it's a fearful time. But now here he is in their midst. And Jesus wants to help them understand that this is real. I'm not a ghost. Now the disciples had never seen a ghost. Because there aren't ghosts. But they're thinking maybe this is just the spirit of Jesus. Because we know he's dead. And so, so who is this here among us? And Jesus does a couple of things to prove. Hey, this is no mere spirit among you. First thing he does is he has them observe his body. Look at verse 39. See my hands and my feet, that it is I myself. Touch me and see, for a spirit does not have flesh and bones as you see that I have. And when he had said this, he showed them his hands and his feet. And while they were still, while they still disbelieved for joy and were marveling, he said to them, have you anything here to eat? And they gave him a piece of broiled fish and he took it and ate it before them. So Jesus is no ghost. He's no immaterial spirit. He died a real physical death. And now he's alive physically there in their presence. They could see his flesh and bone body. They could hear him talking. And catch this. They could touch him with their hands. They could feel his hands. They could feel his feet and experience the scars that were on his body from that crucifixion. So it's beginning to sink in now. Oh, this is real. But I love the words here. Luke says they, dis they disbelieve for joy now. So they're, they're, this is like too good to be true. You ever had a moment like that in your life? Something so wonderful happens. You think, am I dreaming? Some people literally do this. They'll pinch themselves. Am I, am I dreaming? This is the moment for them. Like, okay, I'm beginning to think this, this is real. This is amazing. It happens for us sometimes. Well, here then Jesus gives them another additional proof. He asks for food and they get to watch him eat. We're even told what he ate, some broiled fish. Jesus took it and ate it and they watched. Okay, this is no spirit. This is a body. This is the same Jesus we knew, same body, but raised up. Here we have him and we're experiencing him alive again bodily. Now this became a part of the disciples' testimony. In 1 John 1, 1, John said this, that which was from the beginning, which we have heard, which we have seen with our eyes, which we've looked at, and I love this, and our hands have touched. This we proclaim concerning the word of life. This is their testimony. We touched him and listened to him before the cross. And then after his resurrection, we got to touch him. We experienced him. He indeed was bodily raised. So Jesus shows them his body, lets them touch this body raised from the dead. But then he takes them to the word. Look at verse 44. Then he said to them, these are my words, which I spoke to you while I was still with you, that everything written about me in the law of Moses and the prophets and the Psalms must be fulfilled. And then he opened their minds to understand the scriptures and said to them, thus it is written that the Christ should suffer and on the third day rise from the dead. Notice this, Jesus fulfilled the law and the prophets and the Psalms. What's that mean? 
That means the entirety of the Old Testament. Jesus fulfilled them. I love it. Jesus says, all these things were written about me. Did you catch that? So you say, what's the Bible about? Jesus. What, what, what's the plot? Jesus. Who's the main character? Jesus. It's all Jesus. Old Covenant reveals our brokenness, our sin, our need for a redeemer. And we're promised there will be one. And then the New Testament points to Jesus. He came. He died on a cross for us. He was raised from the dead. And here we take this glorious news all around the world. This is the message. And it's all about Jesus. But what are some of those Old Testament passages that point so clearly to Jesus? I love this one. In Psalm 22. Catch this. Psalm 22. Jesus started quoting this one from the cross. This is that famous verse where he says, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Listen, that's not Jesus on the cross having doubts about the plan. He's not wondering where God is. What's he doing? He's quoting Psalm 22, verse 1, which says, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? That psalm is all about him. If you get on to verse 7 of Psalm 22, it says this, All who see me mock me. They make mouths at me. They wag their heads. Then you go down to Psalm 22, verse 14 through 18. Listen, this is Jesus dying for us. Psalm 22, 14. I am poured out like water and all my bones are out of joint. My heart is like wax. It's melted within my breast. My strength is dried up like a pot sherd and my tongue sticks to my jaws and they lay me in the dust of death. Listen to this. For dogs encompass me, a company of evildoers encircles me. And here it is. They have pierced my hands and feet. I can count all my bones. They stare and gloat over me. Listen to this. They divide my garments among them, and for my clothing, they cast lots. That's Jesus quoting an ancient psalm because it's all about him. He quotes it from the cross because it's being fulfilled in him. Or how about the prophets? A great example of this is Isaiah chapter 53, where we're told that one would suffer for us. Someone would be pierced through for our transgressions. It's all about Jesus. Or Psalm 1610 about resurrection for you will not abandon my soul to Sheol or let your Holy One see corruption or decay. So the disciples, they were helped by this. Seeing and experiencing and touching his body. Hearing again from the scriptures that it's all about Jesus. And this is what was supposed to happen. By the way, this is the same way Jesus helped the two on the road to Emmaus earlier in the same chapter. Luke 24, 26. Jesus says, was it not necessary that the Christ should suffer these things and enter into his glory? And beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he interpreted to them in all the scriptures, the things concerning himself. So we've just been talking about how Jesus reveals himself alive to his disciples. And he reassures them that he is indeed alive. And now next he does this. Jesus commissions and empowers the disciples for action. Notice the commission here, verse 46. And he said to them, thus it is written that the Christ should suffer and on the third day rise from the dead and that repentance for the forgiveness of sins should be proclaimed in his name to all nations. Beginning from Jerusalem, you are witnesses of these things. Jesus makes it clear that those who believe in him have eternal life, but also a life mission. Jesus is saying, this salvation is not just for you. It's not just for your friends. It's not just for your people. It's not just for your nation. It's for all 
nations. And Jesus makes this clear. It's recorded in each of the gospels, places like Matthew 28, 18. And Jesus came and said to them, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations. Or Acts 1.8, Luke records this, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the end of the earth. So you have received the great news of a savior and you are to do what with it? You must proclaim it. And right now together, we are proclaiming it. Many of you on social media this morning, you proclaimed it to your family and friends out there. Hey, I have a risen savior. This is what we do with news like this. So let me ask you, who do you know that needs to know that God does love them? Who do you know that needs to know that there is a savior who would forgive them for all of their sins? Who do you know that needs to hear that life does have a purpose and that God is offering eternal life. Who do you know that needs to know that they need to repent of their sin and turn to Jesus for this life? You do know that people don't just automatically know that. In fact, people automatically think that they're saved because they're kind of nice. That's the message that everybody believes in almost every culture. Well, I think it's going to work out. I, I think, I mean, why wouldn't he let me into heaven? That's what people default think. But that's not the gospel. Here, the brutal cross proclaims to us that we needed somebody other than ourselves to save us. If God looked at us and thought they need this type of sacrifice, they need a blood sacrifice, a holy one dying for them, then you and I should agree with that, that, that I, I need a savior like that. And the people around you need to know a savior like that is available. He is Jesus who died and who was raised from the dead. And so this risen savior commands us to proclaim this news. And it's not just overseas, though he says all nations, but he says beginning from Jerusalem. That's where they were. So beginning where you are, your friends, your family, your neighbors, the people you go to school with, they're your mission field first. I must share with them. But of course then, to the nation. And of course, to the nations. So the risen Savior commissions them and then he empowers them. He reminds them of the power he's giving to them. Verse 49, and behold, I'm sending the promise of my father upon you, but stay in the city until you are clothed with power from on high. So see this, Jesus once again, promising them the indwelling of the Holy Spirit, which was fulfilled at Pentecost. But don't you love the words? He said, you're going to be clothed with power from on high. And indeed they were. Remember having seen now Jesus alive, and then being filled with the Spirit just weeks later at Pentecost, they went from fearful, troubled disciples to world changers. They could not be stopped. Even when they were persecuted, even when they were threatened further harm, they would not stop proclaiming this message that the risen Savior told them to go and share. So let me remind you that you too, if you know Jesus, you have been clothed with power from on high. This same power. This same Holy Spirit has come to you. So the moment you believed, God caused you to be alive together with Christ. And immediately and permanently, the Holy Spirit came to reside in you. The moment you were saved, you became a child of God and a temple of the Holy Spirit all at the same time. Same Holy Spirit. You were clothed with power from on high. And you and I should live like that. There's another thing that happens here. Jesus replaces their fear with joy and confidence. Look at verse 50. 
And he led them out as far as Bethany, and lifting up his hands, he blessed them. While he blessed them, he parted from them and was carried up into heaven. And they worshiped him and returned to Jerusalem with great joy and were continually in the temple blessing God. This news that Jesus died and was physically raised to life again is not in the category of nice to know. This is a life-changing truth. The resurrection of Jesus changes everything. For one thing, all the claims that Jesus made because of the resurrection, they are validated. Whatever he claimed, well, that's true. He backed up with resurrection from the dead. All the promises of Jesus are guaranteed because of the resurrection. All of our sins have been atoned for. That sacrifice he made has been accepted. We know it because of the resurrection. All of the problems that we currently have, we know that they're all within God's ability to handle. Listen, if God can raise the dead, he can handle this other problem that I have in my life right now. And speaking of our problems, the resurrection reminds us that all the problems that I have, oh, they're all temporary. At some point, not too many years in the future, maybe in moments in the future, they'll all be just a distant memory. Because we also are promised, if we're in Christ, a resurrection of our bodies. When Jesus comes again, our bodies will even be raised up to be with him. So there is great joy, and the disciples got it. Look at verse 52 again. And they worshiped him, and they returned to Jerusalem with great joy. So let me ask you this. How is the death and resurrection of Jesus shaping your life? How is the death and resurrection of Jesus shaping your life? Or is it possible that you're living like the death of Jesus and the resurrection of Jesus never even happened? Some years ago, I went with our senior adults to Amish country. We saw a play and then we went and ate in the home of a sweet Amish family. And, uh, and it's interesting, you know, I think in these days as, as world gets crazier and crazier, we kind of look at the Amish and think, that looks kind of nice. <laughs> I think I'll go retreat there. Only problem with that is not a biblical lifestyle. We're not supposed to be in retreat mode. We're supposed to go. The other thing I don't, wouldn't want to take on is the Amish don't do electricity in their homes. And that, that would bother me. Uh, so these sweet Amish people, they know about electricity. They just don't, they're not on the grid. They, they sometimes, they, I just read about it even this week. They use some generators and things sometimes at work sites, but they won't have power lines going to their home. They just feel like that could influence them negatively. And so they don't do it. But they, they have neighbors that use it. Mennonites use electricity. So they're aware of it, but they live as if power didn't exist. Electrical power didn't exist. And I started thinking, you know, Christians can be that way. You, you could know about the power of God. You could know about the resurrection power. You can believe it. You can have an intellectual belief. I believe in a risen Savior. I believe that the, the Spirit of God lives in me. But, but you might be acting like that's not so. Listen, we are to be humble, but we are to be confident because of the res resurrection power that Jesus lives in us by the Holy Spirit. So yes, humble. We're going to treat everybody with love. We're going to treat others, like Philippians 2 tells us, as people are more significant than ourselves. We're going to turn the other cheek when we've been offended. We're never going to return evil for evil, even though our flesh kind of wants to. We're not going to do that. We've put that to death. We're going to love our enemies. Yes to all that, but we do all that from a position of confidence that our Savior has been raised from the dead. And the Spirit of God lives in us. We have confidence. And so we have a resurrection confidence. We've been clothed with power from on high. So as we face this culture, and as we watch the news, it seems like bad news, more bad news. And bad laws put into effect to strip away religious liberty, to financially punish people who hold to a biblical view of things. We see that. 
but we're just not going to shrink back in fear. Why? We know the risen Savior. We, we don't retreat. We keep advancing. Now, what do we advance with? We advance with the gospel. Notice the message he gave them. He said, you're not going to retreat. You're going to proclaim repentance for the forgiveness of sins. Some translations say repentance and the forgiveness of sins. Some repentance for the forgiveness of sins. But listen, that is our message. Let me ask you this. Have you responded to that message? Repentance for the forgiveness of sins. This is what Jesus offers. Now, what does repent mean? Repent means to change your mind. Repent means to even change your direction. And repentance is always this. It's repenting from something and repenting to someone. You're repenting from your old way of life, from your sins. You're repenting from yourself. You're repenting from falsehood that you might repent toward Jesus. Acts 20, 21 says, testifying both to Jews and to Greeks of repentance toward God and of faith in our Lord Jesus Christ. So your response to Jesus dying on the cross for your sins and being raised from the dead is to joyfully repent from all else that you might repent toward Jesus and trust in him. Not merely adding Jesus onto your life like a mascot, but no, a total change of your mind and the direction of your life. So essentially it's this, you change your mind about you and you change your mind about Jesus. So if you're one who has thought, like, I think, I think I should go to heaven. I think I'm right with God because I'm pretty nice. You need to change your mind about you. The Bible says you're a sinner. You're ungodly like all the rest of us. The Bible says you're not worthy of heaven. None of us are. The Bible says you need to be rescued by somebody else. So change your mind about you. Repent of self-righteousness. Understand you are absolutely in poverty spiritually. And now turn to Jesus. Change your mind about him. You need him like the rest of us. You're not so good that you can escape the need of a savior. You need him too. change your mind, repent and notice this and you'll experience the forgiveness of sins. When you repent and put all your faith in Jesus, this is a glorious truth. All your sins washed away. The beauty of the gospel is when you trust in Jesus, you are declared righteous in the sight of God. Can you imagine that sinners like us, holy and righteous in the sight of God? Only God could do that for us. The blood of Jesus applied to us, our sins covered, the righteousness of Jesus has been credited to us, and we stand holy in the presence of God. No fear of condemnation in the future. This is our Savior. This is what he's accomplished through the cross and the empty tomb, and there is rejoicing in that. And we want you to have that, to know Jesus as your Savior, to be known by God, to be loved by God, to be accepted by God to be adopted by God, to know he's always with you and to know that the best is to come when Jesus returns. And though your spirit already with him at that time, your body raised, glorified like his, how wonderful. So today, would you, would you repent and believe in Jesus? Let's pray together.